are Locked On Pelicans, your daily New Orleans Pelicans podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Pelicans, the daily podcast covering your favorite team, the New Orleans Pelicans in the NBA as a whole, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, available literally wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm your host, Pelicans Insider, credential member of the media, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter. With y'all on this Wednesday, still more to talk about with this team, despite it being the offseason. We've got a couple of interesting updates on the coaching search, and I'm not going to spoil everything for you because I want you to all go read some of this stuff yourself, but we're going to talk about it, uh, particularly the coaching budget for next season in terms of a head coach. I think that's kind of telling. We have an idea of what that number might be. So where does it put you in relation? to other teams around the league. Where does it put you in the relation to the top head coaches in the league, I think is worth looking at. Then in the second segment with a lot of names being floated out there, some are retreads or guys with experience, I should say. Some are young and up and coming head coaches. There's some data out there. There's been some research done on which is the direction to go. And we'll talk about that here in the second segment. Then in the third segment, I got to get a few things off my chest. I've got some com- some complaints about the NBA. Part of it has to do with Defensive Player of the Year. I'm not upset Giannis won it. I'll explain why. And then part of it is with the broadcast of the NBA. And I'll explain what that is that you can probably guess. So let's dive into it all in today's edition of Locked On Pelicans. Before all that, though, today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your next order. All right, so some stuff on the coaching search, and we had a lot come out over the past day. Over at The Athletic, they said a few things which I found kind of interesting. The first and foremost one is the budget for the next head coach for the Pelicans is going to be between 5 and $6 million. This is not going to be uh, – they're not going to bring in a guy that they're going to offer $10 million, $11 million, which is what the top-of-the-line head coaches in the NBA get paid. Guys like Popovich, Spolstra, Rick Carlisle, and such – you're going to be looking at less than that, obviously. About half that to some degree, which can still net you basically a guy that'll be in the top, you know, between like, and we don't fully know coaches' salaries. They're not really reported like NBA players are. You don't need to fit them in on the salary cap and anything. This is just more an internal organizational budget kind of thing. So if you pay a guy 5 to $6 million, it's going to put you in the range of maybe like the 12th highest paid to like the 9th highest paid. I think it's probably the range you're looking for. So conceivably, you're paying a guy top third money for a head coach in the NBA, which is still pretty good. But if you're looking at this, it likely rules out a guy like Tyron Lue. It likely rules out a guy like Jay Wright from Villanova as well, who coming into the NBA, maybe being the top college coach that you could hire, is going to cost a whole lot. Those guys don't make that jump for nothing, particularly a guy who's won two national titles. So I think that if he were to make that jump, he's going to cost you closer to 10. So you can conceivably still get a good guy. You know, I don't think that's necessarily a mark of a cheap franchise. When they hired Gentry, it was three and a half million, 3.4, something like that. And he's gotten raises over the time to kind of push him into that 5.6, whatever range was. So they're upping the budget significantly with this. This head coach that they're going to hire is not going to be the most autonomous guy. I've mentioned it in past episodes of the show that the front office sends some feedback down. They say, play these guys together. Try this lineup. Do this. They have a hand in this. And a guy who's going to be making $10 million, $11 million, $12 million, uh, also in that number is Doc Rivers of the Clippers. 
Those guys aren't going to listen to that if you're paying him that much money. If you hire a guy like that, you want him to coach and he can just do his thing or her thing, I guess, in theory. So I don't see this as being kind of out of the ordinary or cheap or anything like that and kind of fits in line. Also of that athletic article that Joe Varden said was that Ty Lue is maybe a front runner for this job. This was echoed by Mark Stein to a degree, though Mark Stein doesn't think that it will end up happening and that he's probably going to go to either the Nets or or the Philadelphia 76ers more ready to win setup than the Pelicans have. And also maybe with higher budgets than what the Pelicans have. And Lou would require a lot of money to go to any team, I think, being a championship winning head coach. And that's something we'll get into in the next segment too, because I find it kind of interesting, the retread versus young up and coming guy debate, which is worth looking at as well. But what was really interesting is, and maybe this is actually the biggest takeaway from this, is that the front office, David Griffin, had thought about maybe firing Gentry in December, that early on in this tenure, he realized this wasn't the right fit. I think this echoes the thought that basically, even if they had made the playoffs, they were likely going to move on from Gentry at the end of the season. Griffin wasn't happy with a lot of the habits that the team built, a lot of the coaching stuff, you know, to build up those habits from the team. And because of that, they had to make a move. And it was basically said in there or reported that, yeah, maybe if it was December, they would have fired Gentry and hired Tyron Lue to be the head coach. They didn't because Lue wasn't available. He's with the Clippers, so they couldn't go and hire him and bring him in, which what's interesting about this to me is not so much that they wanted to fire Gentry, but how seriously are they going to be considering Chris Finch as a candidate if you say you want to interview him and you really like him, but you weren't going to fire your head coach and make him the interim head coach. And I think that kind of says a lot about Finch's place here with the team this season, next season, potentially too, that if you could, if you think this is a guy that might be a head coach, you could have given him a really strong audition for him to kind of go out and get it. Or is he part of some of that bad habit building too? Potentially, I'm not saying he is. Now, for the athletic article, the Pelicans didn't comment on any of this. They won't comment on any of this thing. So this, you can try and read into where it's coming from if you want. But I find the Chris Finch aspect of it in the not firing Gentry in December thing uh, almost a bit of a bombshell. It means that like clearly Gentry wasn't going to be around next season. They They don't want to bring him back. And that they really are upset with some of the things he's done with this team, growing these guys, the development of these guys, maybe not really getting there. Zion come back, they started winning. So like, what can you do? Right. But they were always going to make a move at the end of the season. But I don't think Chris Finch is going to be the next head coach of the team. And I know a lot of people have wanted him to kind of assume that mantle, that role for the past couple of years with their dissatisfaction of Gentry, at least, you know, the time that he's been here. I don't think he's really going to be much of the running for it because why not give him that role right now and give him a couple of months to really get his feet wet for you to kind of test him out and put him through an extended audition. And they didn't want to do that when they were considering firing the head coach and that if Lou was available, they would have hired him, um, at least according to the report. I don't know. I think that's kind of telling about Finch and how they view him. So while they might talk to him about this, I don't know. And if he doesn't get the head coaching job here, I do wonder if he's going to be back next season because you interview for a job, you don't get the job, you really want to stay there and instead go show another place that 
I'm worthy of this sort of thing. So I think it says a little bit about what they're feeling about Chris Finch. And yeah, a couple interesting pieces out there. Go subscribe, by the way, to Mark Stein of the New York Post newsletter. And also subscribe to The Athletic. Mine just rebuild, and I'm thrilled to have it. It is well worth every penny. And frankly, in this sort of market and environment, support people who put out content that you like, whether that's me, whether that's other people, support them. By subscribing, paying for the work, it's well worth it because without doing that, there's no more content. So something to keep in mind too if you like getting all of this news that's being reported everywhere right now. All right, coming up, let's look at coaches with experienced versus inexperienced coaches. Is there a way to go? And I'd pose that, yeah, there is. So coming up, we will take a look at that. Okay, so now that we have an idea of the Pelicans coaching budget, head coach budget, they want to keep a lot of the assistants. You can kind of maybe narrow down some of the candidates. I said, you probably get ruled out of Jay Wright. You're probably ruled out of a guy like Tyron Lue. If Jeff Van Gundy wants to come back, you're probably ruled out of him. And when you kind of look at this, it's the established coaches that are going to cost a whole lot more. And it makes sense to some degree. Like I even think Jason Kidd probably wants seven or eight a year to be a head coach again, though maybe less depending on how badly he wants to be a head coach and if other you know teams don't want to hire him. So I find it interesting to kind of think of who do you want versus who do you who don't you want. And when I talk to people, just at fans, friends of mine, other places and kind of look around, there really does seem to be a lot of backlash against hiring kind of those retread candidates. Guys who've been a head coach before didn't work out then go to a different spot. And it makes a lot of sense. You know, usually if you're an available head coach, it's likely because you failed to some degree at your last job. Guys who've won titles and gone out on their own, a la Phil Jackson with the Bulls, then with the Lakers and all of that stuff, isn't like a very normal thing, right? Like those those situations are very few and far between. So if you're hiring a guy with previous head coaching experience, they probably got fired. And got booted from their old team, which makes them feel like a bit of a retread. Teams kind of spin this as experienced, right? They know how to handle a locker room, look at what they've accomplished. And it doesn't, but but it doesn't make people feel really good about those head coaching candidates. Same thing with like uh, Brett Brown right now, who's going to be available. And I'm not even high on him. Guy like Mark Jackson, who, who, other than the weird fans that Mark Jackson has for whatever reason, are the only people that's high on him. Same thing for Jason Kidd. All of that. Basically, these guys have failed, so you don't want them as a head coach, which makes perfect sense. Even people are low on Ty Lue, even though I think he'd be a great fit and would be a fine head coach, and he does have a title. His is kind of weird because he got fired after going 0-6, despite other than that, a very, very good run there with the Cleveland Cavaliers. So when you look at this, there's some data on it. We It doesn't go back very far, but I got pointed to this. It's a Grantland.com article, which tells you how old it is at this point, but it's not horribly, horribly old. But they took a look at head coaching hires, whether it was a first-time head coach or someone else or a retread. And basically, the win percentage of that person's tenure was higher as a first-time head coach than if they were a retread head coach. And I thought that was kind of interesting, that first-time head coaches over their careers with that team as a first-time head coach do better than if you were to have hired someone who'd been a head coach before. And when I look at what 
I hope the Pelicans do and should do in the NBA, I do tend to lean towards more that kind of young up and coming guy, the first timer head coach. Part of the reason I lean that is it just feels like you need to do something very, very different here. Have a vision, be willing to try and go all in on that vision. And when you look at retreads, and Fletcher Mackle said this, and I thought it was a really good point about Alvin Gentry is if you're a survivor in the NBA, you know, and Gentry is basically he hasn't been unemployed for 30 plus years as a coach in the NBA to some degree. You've got to be willing to kind of do what other people want to some extent. You've got to be willing to adapt and maybe not put yourself out there as much and take a big swing and a big gamble. And so by doing that, you are just kind of being safe, right? And safe can get you far enough, but I don't know if safe can really take you to an NBA title. And if what we're looking at here is, you know, to maximize on and do it, I think that's kind of what you want. Whereas a first timer, knowing maybe you can get hired again later, because that's what happens, really wants to come in and kind of make their mark and establish themselves as a head coach and are willing to come in with that vision and be, again, visionary is kind of like the phrase I used a couple weeks ago to describe, or I guess a week ago when you're looking for the next head coach, that that's what I'm looking for. Someone who has a vision of how this just kind of works and isn't willing to be like, let's just play fast or let's do this. You've really got to have a strong sense of how to do all of this. Not that Gentry didn't necessarily, but I think you guys get what I'm trying to say to some degree. And so that's why I tend to go with these younger guys who have new ideas and aren't just going to bring in the same things that have worked in the past and will get you to the first round of the playoffs, maybe occasionally the second round of the playoffs, and then never go any further than that. You know, I think you kind of, maybe the floor is higher with some of these retread coaches, but certainly the ceiling maybe isn't as high as it would be for some of these young guys. And that's why I kind of tend to lean on that. When you look at guys who've been head coaches and then jump back into being a head coach right after, you didn't have time to learn anything new, to go to a different team, to experience different things, and then use that to your advantage to be better in your next stint. Look at a guy like Monty Williams who failed here in New Orleans, but then got some seasoning with the Spurs, with the Thunder, with the Sixers, and then is now appearing to, at least in the bubble of his first year with the Suns, have a lot of uh, success. And he's taking a dramatically different approach. I've talked to people around the Suns and people that cover the Suns, and they said as much. That he's much more of a player's coach, less of a disciplinarian, and all of the stuff that doomed his tenure here. I don't want to hire a retread because I don't know if they've actually grown enough and changed enough necessarily. But those young guys have been up and coming, usually switch team from team to team to team, right? Because that's kind of how it goes as an assistant coach. And it gets you a lot of that new experience and exposure to how different things are done. And I think that's very valuable in the NBA right now. And that's why I lean towards that. And some of the data based off what we have mentions it as much. And so when you look at all this and like, think about like guys who've won an NBA title, Carlisle was in his second or third coaching stint. He'd been a previous head coach and he won. And before that, it hadn't really happened a ton. And also look at Popovich, by the way, he was a first time head coach when he was put in with the Spurs and it worked. I think that's also worth taking a look at with that sort of thing. So going after the retreads isn't just nearly as exciting. Maybe it makes you a little bit better. I won't disagree with that. Doc Rivers is also an example of that too. But for the most part, it's first-time head coaches who've been there for a little bit who won an NBA title. 
And I think that's what you're looking for with this sort of hire for the Pelicans, particularly now, especially with the budget, because those guys will be cheaper. All right, coming up, I'm going to rant about two things. You probably agree with me at least on one of them, maybe on the second. We'll find out what it is here in just a minute. Today's show is also brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, period, full stop. I agree with this. I eat one of these daily. They recently did a bit of a relaunch, changed their formula, changed their packaging, and they're even better than before. So I fully think that the only thing better than Built Bars are the new Built Bars. I'm excited about a lot of the new flavors they've got coming out, like caramel brownie, cookies and cream, lemon almond cheesecake. There's a bunch of others too. They've also got the original ones like the salted caramel. They've got peanut butter brownie, coconut, toffee almond. I go on and on. These things are so good. They taste like a candy bar. People will think you're eating a candy bar, but you're not. You're actually eating something that's good for you. They think it's candy bar because these things are covered in 100% real chocolate. They are soft. They're easy to chew. You don't need to chug down a bottle of water after them. I eat one of these for lunch after I work out daily and they've been great. They're great if you're just looking to maintain weight or lose weight or wanting to eat something that's actually good. So if you're just trying to be a little bit health conscious, these bars are low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber. They're great for the keto diet. They've got some that are 19 grams of protein and 180 calories or 17 grams of protein and just 130 calories. And now when you go to builtbar.com, they've reset their promo code. So if you've used one before, you can use this promo code again. You're also going to get a free cooler with purchase while supplies last. Go to builtbar.com, use promo code locked on, and you're going to get $10 off your next order that's promo code locked on for ten dollars off over at beltbar.com all right don't forget subscribe to locked on pelicans wherever you get your podcast from the only show here monday through friday for y'all breaking down everything everything you want to know about the pelicans the nba and covering the biggest topics here you get it all monday through friday what more could you ask for subscribe wherever you get your podcast from and just never miss a show so not pels related but nba related i've got two complaints We're going to start with Defensive Player of the Year, and it's going to tie in a little bit to the next thing that I'm going to complain about, and that's the big one. So Giannis won Defensive Player of the Year, the end-of-season award. He was followed by Anthony Davis and Rudy Gobert. All that makes sense. Giannis should have won. I'm fine with it. I I would have been fine with Anthony Davis, too, but Giannis was a better defender this year. I'm cool with him winning. I'm cool with how this all shook out. But on the award voting, when they showed it, you know, they show everyone who received first place, second place, third place votes. Drew Holiday, by the way, no votes in this. It's really tough for guards to receive votes in this sort of thing. It's almost always bigs. I don't think that's... You don't need to read much into that. He's also not going to make, I don't think, the one of the first or second all defensive teams either. But... Regardless, he's still a good defender. Uh, but with this, someone gave Andre Drummond a first place vote. And this bothers me for a number of reasons. First and foremost is uh, some of these NBA players' contracts are tied to these end of season awards. You've heard of the Rose Rule, other things like that. It's tied to this stuff. So having a voter that doesn't take this nearly as seriously bugs me because it's tied to someone's money and you shouldn't mess with it by not taking it seriously. It's only even call for a person's job, I think. I think it's another when you just don't watch the games and you have this all-important vote and then you just do whatever. I don't like that. I think that's kind of a stupid thing. The other thing is, is that person, whoever did this, has that vote and it's keeping it from someone else. They really cut down on the number of people that vote on these things and these are coveted things to have and in a way legitimize you as an NBA analyst, commentator, writer, what have you. And to hold that away from someone when someone clearly doesn't care about their job is disappointing because this is a tough industry. We just, I mentioned it in the first segment. Subscribe to newsletters, 
listen to podcasts, pay Patreons, and pay to go behind paywalls to keep top quality content out there. But this is how you get bad NBA content by this dude, whoever it was, going and voting Andre Drummond with the first vote. It's dumb. Drummond doesn't shouldn't be on any of these things. So it's disappointing to see that and just kind of hurts the NBA discourse as a whole, which I don't like. And yeah, there you go. But that ties into the next thing. And that is, I there's that article on The Athletic from Mason Sherwood Strauss, which I really disagree with. And maybe we'll go into this on another day, if you will, let me. And uh, talking about the ratings with it. And the reason the ratings are down from 2011 to now, 40% is a big number, blah, blah, blah. And he makes a claim of why it is. I don't think it's that. I think it's really because the broadcasts at times suck, or this is part of it. Chris Weber is freaking awful on the call. Awful. So is Mark Jackson too. But regardless, Weber has been really, really bad. His analyst, his opening analysis of this Clippers game was, well, Paul George, playoff P, who's been struggling, needs to play better and should just get hot. Like if that's if that's the analysis you're going to give us, especially as a former player, right? Come on. We can do better than this. He's so annoying during some of the games. Like, it is annoying. It makes it less fun and less enjoyable for me to watch basketball that if I wasn't having to stay up all uh, until the final, until the Clippers league, uh, Clippers game, uh, sorry, Clippers Mavs game ends so that I can recap it on Locked On NBA today, I'd have just turned it off. It was a blowout. I don't need to pay attention to this. But if you have a good analyst, uh, analyst like Stan Van Gundy in the game before, you can keep me through a blowout because I want to hear what they're saying because I'm learning something. And I feel like I'm being educated about the game and getting some insight that you don't get elsewhere. And Weber and a lot of these broadcasters just don't give you that whatsoever. And it makes for a bad experience. And I would not be shocked if people just turn off the game because of that sort of thing. I hate it. This is not that hard to put on quality NBA content that is both insightful and accessible. Do you want to be jumping into PER and some of the statistics that we use to kind of inform our decisions how we talk about the team? Like, no, you've got to be very careful with how you do that. Getting too much into scheme, I think, in a broadcast that's supposed to have a large appeal in terms of what they're doing um, defensively, offensively, can be a little bit tough to do too. You can get too granular with it and it turns people off if they don't know some of the terminology and other things. You've got to try and make it accessible and explain it in an easy way. So it's a fine balance to do, but Weber and some of these other guys just do not do it at all. And it's horrible and it's unfun to watch these games because of that. Even if the game's close, I found myself at times putting on radio broadcasts of this stuff because I don't want to have to listen to them and trying to sync it up. And then it's off a little bit and I hate that too. One of my least favorite things is if you're at a bar watching a game, one TV is like on one side of the bar, the other TV is on the other. And for whatever reason, they're off by like half a second. It's the worst in soccer where all of a sudden you hear one half of the bar screaming because like a goal happened and you know it's coming and you kind of lose some of that, the like climactic buildup to a goal in a soccer game or something like that on your side of the bar because you just know it happened. So what's the point, right? And so that's kind of disappointing. So broadcast really makes 
a, a big deal in this, but when you can't sync it up like that with the radio, it makes it kind of tough to watch at times. So this is something the NBA really needs to look at. And the good news is you have a lot of really good people out there. I just don't know why they are not elevating these people to the main calls. Like Doris Burke is wonderful. Stan Van Gundy has been wonderful. Uh, and I don't mind calling people out by name when they're bad at this sort of thing. So there you go. I needed to rant a little bit. I'd be curious to see if you agree with me on some of the broadcast stuff. Does it make you turn off games? Let me know on Twitter at Nola Jake. Also, don't forget, subscribe to Locked on Pelicans wherever you get your podcast from here Monday through Friday, breaking this all down for you all. And that's going to do it for this edition of Locked on Pelicans. Go check out BuiltBar.com. Use promo code Locked on for $10 off your first order. Uh, your next order. It can be your second, third, or fourth order. It doesn't matter because they've reset the promo code. Thank you all for listening. As always, I'm your host, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter. I'll be back with you all tomorrow.